on uh, the cookbook, and we'll take a few pauses now and then between here and Christmas, but uh, still kind of a few things I'm hashing out. Um, and the cookbook, for, uh, for anybody that's in aware of kind of the, what we've been going through, it's not a series necessarily uh, as much as it is a bunch of things that I like to chew on. And uh, the cookbook idea came from a movie um, where this guy is uh, writing a book, and he calls it the cookbook because he doesn't know what else to call it. And it's really his thoughts about politics and thoughts about the world and things that would make things better, all that. And he doesn't really have any hope for it. But you know, somebody in the movie comes up and tells him that this book will be the seeds of thought. He will plant seeds of his thoughts into these other, another generation. And this guy's going to buy his book, and it's going to sit on a shelf until one day his kid will pick up this book that's been sitting on the shelf and start to read it, and it will become his thoughts, and he will become one day like a great speaker and eventually even a leader of the country. And these, these thoughts, these seeds of thoughts that were planted from this book is going to make a, a change. And this guy's like, what? I can't even fathom that anything I could think is going to make a difference at all. And that's a lot of what the cookbook is for me. I'm not sure how much of a difference it'll make. These are the things that I chew on. These are the things that bother me. These are things that give me hope. Uh, today, I, uh, I realized one of the things, man, I kind of live in a heavy place. I, I do. And if you know me, you know that about me. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I live in this heavy place. So I don't want to call it a burden. It's just it's, it's how I think. I feel the weight of things. Um, I realize that the things that I say create sometimes more questions than they do answers. Uh, but I live to challenge the status quo. I can't help it. I'm not sure if I'm proud of that or that's an embarrassing thing, though. Just being honest there, because it's caused me a lot of grief over the years. Asking questions causes me grief. I'm not going to lie. Um, some of you have been around me when I ask questions. You've seen what it gets me. It doesn't get me a lot of fun. Most of the time when you ask questions, immediately people think you're challenging their authority. The irony is, don't we teach our kids, if you don't know something, you just ask? And then we berate adults that ask questions. It's a weird thing that we do. But nevertheless, like I said, I challenge the status quo all the time. Well, why do you do what you do? Why, do I, why do am I, is it always assumed that I must take you on face value of everything you say? Why can't I ask a question as to why you do what you do, why you think what you think? And it's caused me a lot of grief. <laughs> it's caused me a lot of grief, but I can't help it. Uh, but I, wanted, I want to be clear a little bit that I don't live in a place where I have no hope. I might be heavy about a lot of things. I preach about a lot of things that I see that are wrong. But do not mistake it as me not having hope. As a matter of fact, this vision of returning to God has given me a new hope, basically really creating a spirit of return uh, in, in us, in, in, his, in God's people, in me. And... Uh, I believe that this spirit of return will eventually cause people to let go of the things of this world and cling on to the Lord like a child clings on to a parent. That's my hope. I'm, I'm believing for a generation that will return to the beginning of our faith. And, and this morning what I came to talk to you about is I'm believing in a Josiah generation. Now I'm going to explain a little bit of that. If you know anything about the book of Kings, then you know that it's riddled with the kings of Israel that were immoral. They were ungodly. They were lost in idolatry. And with every generational leader that moved farther from God in their effort to become like all the other nations, right? That's why they moved away from God, because they didn't long after God anymore. God wasn't the thing that they looked at anymore. They looked at all the other nations. How were the other nations leading? How was Persia leading? How was the Philistines leading? How were these other nations 
acting? What were they looking like? What were they dressing like? How did they respond to prosperity? And they looked at all these other nations and they were becoming all these other nations rather than looking at God. And so one generation grew up looking at the other generation who's eventually looking at the, all the other nations and they just mimicked it over and over. A new generation was birthed that was oblivious of their sin. They, were, they had no idea. They, the, the chasm was growing and growing between them and God. Uh, they had followed in the footsteps of those before them who were falling before them and before them and slowly by slowly they were just so far from God. Some tried to move closer to God, uh, uh, to the God of their ancestors, but often they never fully committed. And you know, some resembled what we see a lot today in Christianity. They ignored God when times were good and called on him when times are bad. Does that sound familiar? That is a lot of what you could sum up like Jehoshaphat's whole life with that statement. Hey, times are good. It's all good. God must be loving us right now because everything's good. Um, and then when things were bad, please, Lord, help us bail me out, bail me out, God. That's how things were. One thing for sure, they had become so many generations from who what was godly and righteous. Guaranteed. Go look. Until Josiah. Until Josiah. Now, just if you're following with me here, go to 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going we're gonna to read the first 13 verses and start there. 2 Kings chapter 22. Verses 1 through 13. Say amen when you're there. Oh, it's quiet in the house. Still working on it. 2 Kings 22, verses 1 through 13. Say amen when you're there. Close enough. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. In his 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. He told him, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple, and trust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. They can use it to pay workers to repair the temple. They'll need to hire carpenters and builders and masons, and have them buy timber and finish the, and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive for their honest and trustworthy men. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I found a book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord into workers and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. Pay attention here. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Achahim, Ahakam, okay, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and all for Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that, that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because of our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything we must do. Now, Josiah was a young man when he heard the words of the law. I mean, think about it. He was only 26. 
26 years old. Yet despite his youth, he was able to plainly see something was wrong. When faced with biblical truth, it was obvious that Israel was not living in God's blessing. Hear me. They had been living in God's mercy. You know the difference? When we live in God's blessing, we can see the promises of God manifest within our own life, within the lives of our families, and throughout the land. When Israel lived in the promises of God, they lived in peace. They labored and were fruitful. And they saw a time of prosperity. In contrast, living in the mercy of God is much like what we're experiencing today in our country and our churches. We live in a modern-day Babylon. Now, we're a people that are really lost in materialism. Man, if you don't believe that, you're not watching. We're lost in idolatry. We're lost in greed. Hello, the housing market crash. That wasn't one or two people, guys. That was everybody being greedy. We're lost in inequality right now. We're lost in homosexuality right now. I was talking just a, a minute ago, and just, and just talking out loud, we talk about, these are things we brought up in the cookbook before, some of the things that, that, that are off-skewed with our world right now. If you don't think the church is leading that trend, you're crazy. Uh, uh, we were just talking right before service saying how uh, the church allows 20% of the churches out there are over like a, a 500. Only 20% of the churches. 80% of the churches are less than a few hundred people. 80%. So if all the mega churches were gone tomorrow, it wouldn't matter the other churches would just grow. And yet the 20% tell the 80% how to live, what's good ministry, what's righteous ministry. We look to the 20% to lead everything. And we wonder why the minorities are leading our country. There's poor discipleship all around us. The church almost breeds feeble faith because it doesn't require much out of anybody. We've settled for beautiful buildings, extravagant worship experiences, tickling talk, rather than an encounter and in a relationship with the one true God. Most are happy attending church, but they fall short of living for God. Still, America thrives, doesn't it? It continues to go on. We still live in freedom, don't we? Because God is merciful. Because God is loving. He's full of grace. Haggai chapter 1 verses 5 through 6. I've said this before in here. This is what Haggai prophesied. He says, this is what the Lord is of heaven army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in your pockets filled with holes. Now, does any of that sound familiar? I, if I asked most people how they felt, if this was somehow a window seat to their life, I believe that most people would say, yes, I feel like every time I get a paycheck, it just slips through my fingers. I feel like no matter how much I sow, I only reap uh, uh, like 10% of what I actually sow. I think most people would say that. I think with all that we have today compared to any other third world country that America is blessed beyond measure. Look, this blessing is physically felt. We feel it. We're experiencing it as a first world country, right? Despite our atrocious abortion rate. Despite, excuse me, our drunk driving related deaths. Despite our human trafficking here in America. Despite, well, I'll tell you what, should I keep going? 
Why didn't the older generation recognize the need to return? Listen, man, it can't be like the newest idea that all of a sudden here's this 26-year-old kid and he just gets it. How come nobody else was? Where are the spiritual leaders? Where are the prophets of that day really heralding this in? And what this story reveals is that the older generation had, be- had become spiritually numb. So much so that only a fresh set of eyes could actually see what was wrong. That being said, don't ever discount young people, amen? 26-year-old Josiah immediately was able to see the difference between the culture and God's way. The culture and God's way. The scripture said as soon as he heard what was written, it was that fast. I mean, it was obvious. It didn't take a theological debate. It didn't take anybody having to convince him. It didn't take some eloquent sermon to preach to him. It didn't take some amazing worship song for him to get in the spirit, to have his heart moved. No, as soon as he read the Bible, saw what the Bible said it should be like, and then what life was like, he goes, something is wrong. Something is desperately wrong. And come on, he's king. It's not like he was living in the slums, guys. It's not like he was begging for food. His life wasn't terrible, and yet all of a sudden it became that way. But it didn't take all those things. Listen, the word of God was enough. You hear that? Let that sink in. Is it enough today? Yeah, it seems like an obvious answer, but judging by our lifestyle, guys, our constant need for a platform, our desperate need for attention, and, and our pleading for approval from every other source other than God says different. I mean, if there's ever a time that, uh, we're approachable with doing something different, something that's kind of counterculture and something that kind of cuts against the grain. It's when we're young. We're not so apt to do that as we get older. We tend not to buck the system as we get older. We tend to just move along with it, whether it's because of defeats or whether whatever it is, whether we've been had too many fights where we feel like we're not ready to fight anymore. I wrote a song a long time ago, uh, two or three years back, that uh, one of the things that it said desperately after coming out of a like a spiritual battle, said this, I am old in this war, and I am worn thin, God. I am ready at any time. If you want to stop the fight, Lord, in me, let, let, that'd be fine by me, because I am tired of fighting. But I hope that I never stop fighting until the day is over. I hope that I never stop cutting against the grain or questioning things until the day I die. But remember what that was like, man, when you were like that, when you were a little bit of rebellious, right? A little bit of questioning things. You cut against the grain. You weren't scared to speak up. You know, you might have been wrong. You probably had experiences where you were wrong when you did that too. But you had to try, right? Something in your heart tell you needed to, right? I mean, for some of you, it's not, it's not a memory. Some of you are young. I've done some pretty crazy things when I was young, like join the Marine Corps. It's pretty crazy. They say in the Marine Corps that you're either smart or strong. The implication is that when you do dumb things, prepare to pay the consequences. Believe it or not, I was a strong Marine. Not necessarily a smart one. Did a lot of idiotic things in service because we're young. We think we're invincible. One night out in Okinawa, I was convinced that snorkeling in the ocean was a good idea at night. Not a good idea. It's all coral with the, what are the big spike ones? The, the sea. Oh my gosh. Not wise, guys. You don't go snorkeling with sea urchins everywhere up on the shore at night without flashlights. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty confident that ranks high on the idiot list, right? But when we're young, we throw caution to the wind. We're a bit more resilient. We have a tendency to take things at face value, 
right? We also think and we're confident kind of that we can make a difference. Josiah did. I mean, as soon as he realized it, he said, we're not doing everything it says we must do. As soon as he knew it, we, we've got to do something about this. And it's got to start with me. That's when change begins. Change begins right there. The spiritual exodus of the heart, the soul journey of returning back to God and heading back towards the Creator. <clears throat> How do we know that it's happening? Well, it becomes physically evident. In the scriptures, uh, the scriptures say that 26-year-old Josiah tore his clothes in despair. Now, do you know, do you know that word despair? I don't think we hear it much in America. More evidence of God's mercy. But despair means to lose hope or belief that a situation will improve or change. I don't know about you, but are you starting to feel that way about these elections? Despair caused this young man, his whole countenance to change. His whole countenance changed. This means that the inward affliction was affecting his outward appearance. Sounds a lot like repentance to me. I told Joy the other day, listening to all the news about the elections, I said all I wanted to do was rend my clothes and put sackcloth and ashes on my head and just weep. Yeah, you can argue which one you want to pick, if, but neither are godly. We know that. We're trying to pick the lesser of two evils out of this. We know that. We're trying to figure out which evil guy is going to be the best evil guy for us. Right? That's what we're trying to do out of this. We know that neither one of these people are like the godliest people. We know it. And, and it's such a hard decision for us. And why are we here? Why are we here? This, our, our nation is struggling so badly, so greatly. Because there's, we've yet to see a Josiah generation. A generation that tears their clothes lays out and weeps before the Lord in intercessory. It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. That's where everything begins, with repentance. We recognize what's gone wrong, how far off we are, how deaf and blind we've become. Josiah had a revelation. His immediate reaction to his circumstance was to repent. And it would be the defining moment for all of the people of Israel. 2 Kings 22, we'll finish up 18 through 22. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you've just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and you wept before me in repentance. And I indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster that I'm going to bring onto this city. Can I tell you something? God has a soft heart for repenting people. Let me say it again. God has a soft heart for repenting people. So much so that he engineered a plan to save everyone who's willing to acknowledge their waywardness, their farness, ultimately their sinness, and receive eternal life through his son Jesus. I mean, the whole reason Jesus was born, he was a loving response to an answer for those who live in despair. Do you know that? Jesus is the answer for those who live in despair. He is God's promise that there is hope. He is God's promise that there's always going to be a way that God has created a way. 
I said it once before, I'm believing God for a Josiah generation. I'm believing in a generation that has a response to the despair that our country is facing, that our communities are facing, and our families are facing. I'm believing in a generation of people that have a spiritual eye for the soul journey, the great exodus of returning to God. I'm working hard to support financially and physically a generation of repenters. I'm hoping to create a movement of reformation that causes the church to reevaluate everything it's doing and the disciples it's producing. This generation, when it comes, not if, but when, will start the journey back to God, back to its origins, and will restore our connection with God once more. And I hope it's birthed from the seeds of right now. I mean, just start talking about it. The, the thing that the message of my life is going to be that when he died, what it'll probably say on my stone is that he returned to God. That'll be like the best thing that could be said about me. But it's the only theme I see in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's all about returning. In the New, it's all about repent. And those are the same things, guys. Because there is no returning to God without repentance. It's the same thing. God wants us to start our journey back to Him, back to our origin, and restore the connection with Him. And how will we know when we see this generation? Let me read to you Joel chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the bride. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of your scorn, a, a, a byword among the nations. Why should they say amongst the peoples, where is their God? The Josiah generation will lead a movement of repentance that will be unprecedented. It's not a, not a movement of the Holy Spirit. It'll be a movement of repentance. All right? Now from it will be birthed the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes to those who repent, right? Because the Holy Spirit is, Acts 1-8, to be empowered those to tell others. They will take seriously that which has too often been taken for granted. They will fast but they're going to do it with a fierce passion to be committed to it. They will be disciplined in seeking the Lord. They will hold vast prayer meetings where the only subject will be intercessory prayer. If you've come to pray for you, you're in the wrong place. They will build bridges amongst the age groups. From the smallest child to the oldest couple, they will all be there. The spiritual leaders of this generation will be seen leading the way as they weep between the porch and the altar in intercession. The last sentence alludes to their distress. Why should they say amongst the peoples, where is their God? Because don't you think they're saying that now? Don't you think the world laughs at us right now? Where is your God now? Where is your God now? The, homo the homosexuality has totally changed the face of our nation, Right? Where's God during all this equality? Where's God as people being murdered? Where's God during all these war and atrocities? Where's God as these uh, 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 ISIS is killing more and more Christians? 
Where's God in these moments? <clears throat> Where's your God now? That should affect us. Should be a distress upon us. This generation will be truly bothered by how the world looks at our God and the depth of sin amongst the nations. It will drive them to despair, which is exactly where they will find repentance. The one thing that eludes us today, I heard a, a guy from Africa once say, revival comes by two ways, desperation or devastation. One or the other is going to get us there. Now, I can tell you what it looks like. But I think you already know which one it's going to be. But from one or the other will be birthed a Josiah generation that will return us back. And all the stuff that we did in church is going to seem like foolishness. If you go back and study the revivals of the old days, it's the churches today would never respect it as a movement. It's too simple. What do you mean people just came? You didn't put any advertisements out. You didn't declare a day of revival. No, it just happened. Well, are, are these people theologically sound? Has anybody uh, uh, checked to see if they're uh, smart enough to, to organize these? No, 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 no. You don't understand. It's a God thing. That's the whole point. They aren't smart enough. They're not organized enough. It just happened. It's a God thing. Why, why did it happen? Go look at all of them. That return to God. Repentance is found at the birth of all revival. Repentance and prayer. It's there every time. Why did it start? Because people were driven to despair. They looked upon the sins of the nation and they took it upon themselves to bear it. Right? I could easily say, you know what? I don't have any racism issues. You know what? I'm not even going to think about that. I, I don't have any... Uh, uh, you know what? Politics are going to go on. Uh, a crazy person is going to be in the White House. But you know what? Other crazy people in the other houses will make sure that guy never gets to do anything that, like the last eight years have been. And so I'll just let the crazies be the crazies while I go do my thing and never really care about it. But is that what God asked us? Josiah took the sins of all his nation upon himself. Go back and look at Nehemiah when that, when that revival started to happen in Jerusalem and Ezra's coming in there. Ezra weeps when he sees the temple. Look, nobody can worship the Lord anyway. How can they have any respect for a God? We don't even show respect. We're living in nicer houses than God is. And so he comes in there. I've got to fix this. I, I'm going to go crazy if I don't take on this whole task for myself. Nehemiah said, I heard about Jerusalem and I fell on my face and weeped and I began to repent for all the things that my people had done. And then he goes, no, not just them, Lord. It was me too. The Josiah generation will be an ownership generation. They're going to own it all. So all the things that we're doing right now, we're trying to like throw away and not pay attention to because it's so heavy. They're going to own all of it. They're going to feel the fullness of the weight of it. And in despair, they're going to rip their garments and fall on their face and pray. And from that right there, from that will be birth revival. From that will be birth. It'll drive them to despair. I have a hope in the Lord that he's raising up a people after his own name. A people that will be deep, deeply desired to return, to go back to its first love. Right? Do you remember the church in Ephesus as he talks about it in Revelations? I was reading through it this morning just remembering this thing about going back to our first love. Do you remember the church that it did nothing wrong? Actually, he spends the first paragraph, actually, when, you, when they segment it in the Bible, the first little paragraph that he spends telling the church in Ephesus in Revelation is how good a job they're doing. Man, you're doing a good job. You see false teaching and you totally abolish it. You hate it. 
You're doing some good works. You're giving. You're being generous. Things are all good. But you know I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. Kind of a big deal, guys. It starts to question, what have you been doing it all for anyway? Makes the whole first paragraph feel like it's selfish. You've been doing all these good works, and they're all good things, guys, and that's great. But what do I care about? What did Paul say? But if there's no love, it's what? Fruitless. It's worthless. You can do all the works you want to do, man. You can make yourself feel good by saving everything and giving, and all these things make yourself feel good. But if that love for you, that fire starts to dwindle in you about Jesus, you've forgotten why you're here. You've forgotten. Where, listen, the, 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 the volume or the, the knob that turns the fire up is Jesus. There's nothing else that's going to make you feel like Jesus. Those good works, that feeling that you get, that's because through the love of Christ you're able to do those things. You forget where the source is. You're, you're, you're starting to think that it's you and not him. You're losing your first love. Why did you come to church in the first place? So you could feel good about the things you do? Or so you could remember who you really are and how much grace God has given you, how much he loves you. I'm going to share with you a conversation last night. It's not in my notes, but uh, having this conversation with my wife, we were talking about friends and, and things with our kids. And we're like, uh, you know, we always pray for our kids and their friends. And we say, man, we hope, we hope that they treat their friends like with great love. And, and she was like, you know, when, when I had a friend, she said, you know, and, I, and I, if I was to see them uh, standing out there and, and they're kind of alone when they walk, I would wait for them and I would walk with them. I would never bully kids. And I'm like, well, that's you. She goes, I'm going to tell you right now. She goes, why would anybody, they do, why would anybody treat like that? I said, because it feels good. She's like, what do you mean it feels good? I'm like, because it feels good to be mean. She's like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, that's you. That's why you're the moral compass in our family. That's why you have this like inerrant ability. That's what makes you so attractive to me. Because you have this inability in yourself where God is so heavily convicted in you in your heart about right and wrong. But for me, it came a whole lot easier to be mean as a kid. So when I think about I'm the kid that's mean, because to me, that was easier to me. It was kind of like I've told you about the whole Megamind thing. You know, I found it so easy to be bad that I just thought maybe that's my purpose. So why do I come to church? Because now all of a sudden I'm good. I'm not good. <laughs> why do I love Jesus? Why am I so passionate about God? Somebody say, you're so passionate all the time. Why am I so passionate? Because I, you have no idea how much grace it takes to secure a soul like mine. You have no idea. You, you see me nice. You see me, you see me now. You did not see me then. You hadn't seen what Jesus Christ would say. You see me pulled out of the hole. You've never seen me in the hole. Why am I passionate about the Lord? Because I know the depth of that hole. Oh, yeah. See, I, I've talked about this before. Everybody's hole's a little different. What you don't realize is that you're all die if you stay in the hole. So it don't matter how deep your hole is. All right? Some of you, your hole isn't that bad. You're like my wife, man. You're inherently somewhat, there's some good in you. Christ has already been doing some work early in your life, and there's some good in you. And so your hole's not that deep, and your appreciation of the Lord sometimes varies. And how you show it, how your response is, is how you view your rescue. Right? How, how deep your hole is. How much did God have to rescue? Did he have to go get like a 20-foot rope? Or did he have to get like a bulldozer and some chain? <clears throat> some of you in some quicksand. Right? My hole was a bulldozer and some chains. And even then, it's, I feel like I fought him the whole time, man. No, just leave me. I'm not leaving. You, you want to know I'm passionate? I'm passionate because he's not leaving 
This, this is a Josiah generation. This is what should fuel us. This is what makes us live for Jesus every day. It's not what we do. We're not the church of Ephesus that we're just going to be committed on our good works. I praise God. I, you know what I hope? I hope that we, we get the other part right. I hope that Jesus says, you're the most loving church I've ever seen in my life. You represent my heart so well. Yeah, you do a lot of things messed up. <laughs> but we're listening, by the way, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You have lived in my grace, and in your response to that grace, you have loved people like I have loved you. Right? Not as they should be. Because none of us are as we should be, right? You love people like they are, just like I did. I hope that's what he says to us. I could care less about the works, man. Does it feel good doing stuff for people? Absolutely. Does it feel good to give? Yes. Yes. But the love of Jesus is worth more. And to be and to give the love of Jesus is worth more. It's worth more. And I promise you, you'll do more of that when you accept people than when you give them anything. If you'll give people love, it's worth more than your money. It's worth more than your stuff. It's worth more than what you can do. If you'll just give somebody your attention, your love, your time. I have a hope that God's raising up a people like that. I have a hope that God is raising up a church that will love just like it was in the beginning when they first met Christ. I know that the church is bigger than she ever has been, uh, uh, but, but she struggles. She struggles so, so, so deeply. Uh, when we take our eyes off Christ and how much His grace allows us to, to uh, enter into sonship, we struggle. We struggle. It all, it all starts there. Our faith, yes, produces works, but works is never what saves us. It's Christ alone that does that. Christ is love in human form. The Josiah generation will be a generation that is born in response to the love of Jesus Christ. And I, I know all of this is prophetic in nature a little bit, but it's my hope. It's the thing that I cling on to. I read the Bible and I see this guy who's like, you know what? It bothers me, God. The whole weight of it all. Now, did I do all this? Did I cause all this? No. But I'm, Lord, I will bear it. Do you not know that's Christ? How Christ-like. That's intercession. That is the ministry of Christ. His whole time on earth was that. Was he guilty of anything? And yet he bore it all. For us to do likewise is to be Christ to this world. This is the seed I want to plant. This, this prophetic word is the seed I want to plant. It's the seed that sows hope in a future. It gives us an idea that there's a, if, if, if we're the, maybe we're the seed sowers to that generation. If, it, if it's not this group, then maybe it's the seed of the next generation. Maybe that's what this cookie, maybe it's the seeds of some thoughts, the seeds of something else, something greater than us. And maybe what we, when we leave this place, we can start the move because it's like any other ship. We've talked about this in organizations and leadership. Some of you guys know this, that anytime you're getting ready to turn the ship, you can't just kick that sucker 180. Go do that in the Navy. It don't work. You got a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. But maybe it starts with us. Maybe it starts with us. Right? A future and a hope. It creates a longing in me for the day when the world will know and see Jesus. We'll go back to the simple things again. We'll remember who we are. The sons and daughters of God.
the king of glory. Amen? Now, like I said, I'm heavy a lot. And I didn't come here to preach that to be heavy today. Because that's really no pressure on you. It isn't. I came here to plant that seed in you. That there's hope. That there's hope. That we plant the seed for return. We plant the seed of that message in everything. Listen, in anything anybody's doing, the seed of return is still there. It's there. It's the underlying current. It's drawing people and pulling on people. Return to me. Return to me, says the Lord. Go look up the scriptures. How many of them there are? Go look up all the scriptures say return. Come back to me. Return to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come be with me. Come sit with me. Come, come back to me. Right? How do we do that? We repent. We repent. We fall upon our face. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, help us. We, 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 it causes despair upon our hearts, God. Like I said about the, the, the politics, Lord, I, my heart is rent, God, and I pour sackcloth and national. See me in despair, O oh God, that you are our only hope, God. I have no, no hope in mankind, God, but I have hope in you. I have hope in you. That's the seed we will plant. That's, that's what we live to do here in this body. We're believing in a Josiah generation. That's why we invest so much in teenagers. That's why we invest in our kids. That's why we want to teach our kids how to worship. I want our, I want our students to be active in knowing, the, in, in knowing and reading the Bible. I want them to learn how to pray. I want to put people around them that want to know how to pray, that want to have that same idea, that same mentality, that same heart and, and hurt for people. You know what I, because life begets life. What you behold, you become. If, if, uh, you, if, 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 if we're like this around our young people, our young people are raised up to say, this is the standard. This is the standard. And we don't lessen our standard because the world doesn't like it. Amen? We don't lessen those things. God has given you wonderful and unique visions for the things that you're supposed to do. And they will all work towards returning his people back to him. Because that's the, that's the overarching theme here. God is trying to bring his people back to himself. And all of the things that he's asked you to do in your life, the visions he's given you have all been for that moment. So go do the things God has called you to do. Hurt for the things that God has called you to hurt. But don't lose your first love in all of this. Be the love of God. Be the love of Christ. Stand to your feet. We're going to get ready for worship. I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, I... Uh, Lord, I believe in, in, in your word, God. I believe that, uh, Lord, that you're raising up a people, God, whose heart is, is, is to return, God. A heart that, uh, Lord, is, feels the weight of despair, God. A, a heart that sees the truth, God, and will respond to it. A heart that sees your love and feels your grace, God, and responds to it, Lord. Lord, I believe that you're making a way, God. And I don't always understand it, Lord, but Father, I know that we can trust and hope in you. Above all things, God, we trust and we hope in you, Lord. If we're the ones planting the seed, God, then Lord, water the seed. Help us, Lord. Lord, we rend our hearts this morning, God. 
Lord, and according to your word, we call those things that be not as though they are. We speak to that generation and we say, rise up. Rise up. We speak to that part of our heart. We say, rise up. Rise up. In Jesus' name.